the book of Ephesians and chapter number four. The book of Ephesians chapter number four. And uh, I appreciate you being patient with me, being a few minutes here late. I wanted to speak to our youth uh, for a moment tonight. And I want to say just by a, uh, a side note, I appreciate um, Brother Ronnie and what a blessing he is. I told him, I said, listen, I've got to speak to the youth for a minute. I may be a couple minutes late coming in. He said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And so what a blessing he is that uh, just be able to depend upon you. And thank you, brother. I do appreciate that. I don't take it lightly. And uh, that's not always the case, but thank the Lord for great men of God. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read the first six verses. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning down in verse number 1. We looked at uh, previously at the mysteries of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 3. But Ephesians chapter 4, um, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus encourages them to walk and live worthy of their calling. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Ephesians 4, 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I want to speak tonight, preach for just a few moments on living worthy of our calling. And this morning we looked at uh, the call of a minister. And tonight this is for ministers, but also for the church that we would live worthy of our calling. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer. God, we ask that for the next few moments, Lord, may you still our hearts. Lord, may you bring peace. And God, we ask that, uh, Lord, you may begin to shape and mold our hearts and our church, Lord, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we might be a testimony of your good nature, your grace, Lord, your love. And God, may you help us to live a life worthy, Lord, that we might bring honor and glory to your name instead of shame. Father, we love you and thank you for your mercy, your compassion, Lord, that even in our failures and our shortcomings, God, that your mercies never fail. God, we thank you for it so much. We ask all these things in the name that is above every name, that name of Jesus. Amen. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, we, uh, we find that God has, through Paul, encouraged the church at Ephesus that they would live worthy um, of their calling. And I know part of this is dealing with unity, and I want, don't want to de uh, beat a dead horse, but you'll find that Paul was continually addressing the subject of unity. And I believe this evening that although um, we are in the right direction, uh, that there is still work to be done, and we want to look at this momentarily. But here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins to break down the reasons for unity and, and the reasons for our calling, why we should live together or how we should live together to make a life that is worthy of our calling. Actually, Paul provides five things that will ensure that we live worthy of the calling of God upon our life. And I want to examine these five things for just a few moments. 
You see, we are called of God. We are called, I'm called to minister, and yet you are called to serve God as well. And Paul said, I desire that you would live or walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And it is that we would bring honor to God through our life. Now, I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I desire to live pleasing to God. Amen? And so I desire that God would be look upon my life, look at my character, look at um, uh, everything about my life, and say, wow, I'm pleased with the way you're living. Now, I understand that I fall short. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And... Uh, you say, if you haven't seen them yet, you just wait. It won't take long for you to find them. And if you're the preacher, uh, what mistakes do you have? I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to figure it out for yourself. Or you can ask my wife. She'll be happy to spill the beans, I'm sure. And so we'll find that although I'm not uh, always perfect, I am grateful that uh, God is long-suffering towards me. But I do desire to live worthy of the calling of God upon my life. Amen? And so should you as a Christian. You should live or desire to live in such a way that you bring honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he is worthy of our honor, is he not? And uh, he is worthy that we should bring him praise through our life. Now, I understand we are saved. I've been sealed until redemption. So I'm not working trying to please God to obtain salvation, but rather I seek to please him because I have already obtained salvation. And as such, I seek to bring honor to his holy name. Well, we find here in the scripture that the Bible says in verse number two, Paul begins to give them how they could live worthy of their calling. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness. That word lowliness comes from an odd Greek word, taponophorosyne, which is an odd name, I know, but it means to have a humble view of oneself, to examine oneself in a way that is a humbling view. In other words, it's the opposite of pride or uh, self-centeredness. It is to look at oneself and say, listen, I am lowly and humble. Now, that does not mean that we do not take pride in what we do. But really, humility is this. Humility is viewing ourselves as we compare to God. And so when we compare ourselves to God, we're always going to find ourselves being humble. Now, if we get sidetracked and begin to compare ourselves to other people, it may be easy to get exalted and lifted up in pride. Uh, you say, preacher, really? Well, I might not be better than uh, many, but there are some that you may, if we look at other people, I might be able to go to the prisons and the outcasts and those who are throwing their lives away to crime and, and, and abuse of substances and different things. And we might be able to compare our lives to them and say, you know what, we're a pretty good person. But when we compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness, we will find that we always fall short. And really, that is what this word lowliness means. It means that we have humbled ourselves by uh, recognizing how we st or who we stand before God. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, the Bible says, Likewise, you younger uh, people, submit yourselves to your elders, and all of you be submissive one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we find that God desires that we would be humble and not exalted in pride. Matter of fact, the Bible says here in 1 Peter that God resists the proud. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I, I would assume if you're a Christian, you would say, listen, I don't want God to resist me in my life. Boy, I can think of a lot of bad things that could happen in my life, but I believe that God resisting me, pushing back against my life, is one of the worst things that could happen. And the Bible says that God resists the proud. And so we should live lowliness in our heart. And the Bible says, Paul is saying, listen, if you want to walk worthy of your calling, then you should find a place in your heart where you humble yourselves before God. It is learning to be humble before him, recognizing that we are nothing more than sinners saved by the grace of God. And that's exactly who we are tonight. I'm no better than anyone when we compare ourselves to God. We're all filthy. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we stand before God humble, whether we recognize it or not. But this loneliness really is, it is recognizing where we truly stand. The second thing that is mentioned here, it says, with all lowliness and gentleness. Gentleness. Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealing with us as good. And this word gentleness, literally, it means meekness, to be meek towards him. And it says, therefore, without disputing or resisting, because we accept where we are before God. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who uh, wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. And that's what this word gentleness and meekness is. It's saying, Lord, I will take the, uh, the abuse, the hurt, the harm, and Lord, I do so allowing you to be the revenger, Lord, the one that takes and fights my battles for me. Gentleness is this. It's saying, listen, I will humble myself because I am lowly, and I will say, God, I place my life in your hands. God, you do as you see fit. Lord, you take with my life and do as you would. And God, I place my life in your hand. Lord, if you desire of me to suffer as Paul did, then you say, well, like Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We're saying, Lord, I will allow you to fight my battles for me. And this is how we live worthy of our calling. It's learning to live in such a way that we allow God to fight on our behalf. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 17, the Bible says, The poor and needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fell of thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. They were saying, listen, we have a need and we don't have a, a means of meeting our need. But God said, I'll hear you. I'll not forsake you. And this meekness, this gentleness is saying, Lord, I'm placing my life in your hands, recognizing that you're the one who's going to take care of me. God, I lay my life at your feet. This is how we live worthy of our calling. By saying, God, I'm going to allow you to work. Would I allow you to fight my battles? The Bible says that in Galatians 5, verse 23, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is this gentleness. It is not natural for us to allow someone else to fight our battles. 
it's not natural. We want to defend ourselves. We want to go up to arms and protect our good name, protect whatever it may be, our own self-preservation um, that we desire. And yet the Bible says that this gentleness, it is a fruit of the Spirit. Truly to trust in God and to lay our lives at His feet and to allow Him to work in our life, it must come from the Holy Spirit because it is not natural to the natural man. Yet God desires that we would live gentle and allow God to work in our life. I'm, uh, there's a, an old show with Gomer Pyle in the military, and there was a bully who was picking on Gomer Pyle. If you remember that uh, movie, then you'll remember it. And uh, he was uh, sleeping in Gomer Pyle's bed in the Marine Corps, and the drill instructor was uh, punishing Gomer Pyle for what was going on. And uh, one of the other sergeants came to his drill instructor and said, don't you know it's not Gomer, it's that other man who's been laying in his bed causing all the problems? He said, yes, I know, but I'm punishing Gomer, hoping that he'll stand up and fight for himself. And uh, Gomer Pyle finally called the bully out, said, "Men, you were going outside by ourselves. And everybody, oh, they're all cheering, go Gomer, get him. And they walk outside and he said, listen, now that we're far away enough from everybody, come a little closer. And that boy looked at Gomer and said, I believe I'm close enough. And Gomer said, no, you need to come a little closer. I want to talk where nobody else can hear. He said, listen, I don't know what's got you so riled up and living ornery. He said, but you need to get your act together. He just kind of had a talking to them. And they all gave him a hard time and, of course, ridiculed him. And it's almost humorous that Gomer Pyle would allow a bully to bully him so much. And I'm not saying we should roll over and... We should have no fight in us at all, but gentleness is saying, Lord, I'm going to allow you to work in situations where I cannot. Lord, I'm going to allow you to fight my battles. Then there's another thing here, verse number two, it says, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering. This long suffering really means uh, patience. And according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, um, it's patience, endurance, constancy, steadfastness, or perseverance, especially as shown in bearing troubles and ills. Long-suffering says why um, I'm going to suffer is because I know that God's on my side. It's saying that especially in troubles and, and ills of this life, Lord, I'm going to suffer long if that's what you have required of me because, God, I understand that you are fighting for me. See, we don't like to think about that. We want to think that as a Christian that we can pray and that every problem, every trial, every hardship simply vanishes away. But that is not life. That's not the way God designed it. Even Jesus Christ, his own son, which we are commanded to be like, are we not? Are we commanded to be like Christ? And yet Isaiah tells us that he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so if we are to be like Christ, as a good friend of mine, a pastor uh, uh, by the name of Craig Edwards, he used to preach, and he would use this illustration. He said that God would, uh, with our lives, he is trying to paint a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout our life, through the circumstances, 
circumstances, through the blessings and the trials and the ins and outs of our life, God is trying to work to make your life and mine mimic or be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. And as Pastor Edwards would say, If Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, if God is trying to paint a picture of Jesus Christ with our life, how can he do that unless he takes his brush and dips it in a little sorrow and paints it into our life? Unless he takes his pen and dips it into a little grief and hardships and trials And paints it into our life because that is, through these things, how we become to be like Christ. In Isaiah 57, 15, the Bible says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, those who are contrite in spirit, who who long suffer and, and follow God, the Bible says that the Lord seeks to revive their heart. In Isaiah 54, 17, uh, he said, no weapons formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. Long-suffering because Christ is in control. Are we long-suffering? I had a grandmother who has passed away now, but um, Stella Carter, she was a pastor's wife. My, uh, my grandfather started uh, around 16 different churches around North Georgia. He was a church planner and all small churches, but God used him throughout his life in, in a great way. And she was a pastor's wife. Grandma Carter was, and uh, my grandfather had uh, a lot of health issues. Um, he had 16 different um, diseases that he had been diagnosed with. The medications that he took were just, uh, there was piles of it that he would take every day. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone with more health issues than he had. Um, he had had cancer, and they amputated his foot off, and then the cancer spread, and they cut it off at the knee. And the cancer, they still didn't get it. It moved up, and they ended up chopping his whole leg off, amputated it. One time he had a procedure done. They went and they left, uh, uh, they left uh, some uh, scissors up inside. They had to go back and open him back up and get the scissors out. And now I could keep you here all night, lupus, and, and, and just the list goes on and on. The health issues he had were unbelievable. Because of that, he lived in pain, and yet he still pastored and preached. But when I'm talking about long-suffering, although he suffered, what I really think of is my grandmother, though. That for all those years, she would put up with his pain, and at times he was tough to live with because of the pain. And yet she never complained, never once heard her complain. She would take care of him, help him bathe, help him to the restroom, fix his meals. Even in her poor health, she would drag the wheelchair out and push him to the car. 
help him get in the car and then load the wheelchair up and take him to church wherever he was preaching and get him out and push him into the pulpit and she was long suffering. It was not the life that I'm sure she set out and desired to have. Yet she was faithful. She said, Lord, I'm just going to allow you to fight my battles for me. And you know, as a Christian growing up, um, and still now today, I look at her life and say, Lord, make me like that. That I might say, Lord, whatever you bring in my life, I'll take it. Because I know that my life is in your hands. It says, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, watch this, bearing with one another in love. This is the fourth characteristic of five that I want to look at, and we are getting close to coming to the end of the sermon, but bear with me just a moment. The Bible says that we are to bear one another, and this literally means to bear another up or to lift up. And so this bearing one another literally means, it implies that we are to encourage one another. That is the characteristics of how we live worthy of our calling. And Paul's saying, listen, you want to live worthy of your calling? Then encourage your brethren. Encourage those that God has brought into your life. In Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2, Paul writing to the church there said, Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we know that we are to bear one another's burdens. Why? Because it's the law of Christ that as Christians we would bear or lift up one another that we might carry the load. We are to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Is life hard? Is life difficult? Can life be mean and painful? Sure it can. We can suffer great in this life, and, and often, unfortunately, the church can be a place of a battlefield instead of that of the hospital. But the church should be a place of healing where we can come, and one another, we can work together to lift up one another in Christ. As believers, we truly should be as nurses. God is the physician. He gives healing, but we should be, be there to tend to the wounds and change the bandages of a heart and a life that is broken and falling apart. And Paul said, listen, you want to live worthy of your calling? Then lift up, bear one another's burdens. Lift up each other that, other, that the world might see Jesus Christ in your life. You think you're the only one hurting? I can assure you, you're not. You think you're the only one that's had lost? I can assure you that you're not. And yet, we are to bear one another's burdens. Unfortunately, I've heard time and time again, I've witnessed where believers suffer loss. And they come to the church looking for hope, healing, and strength. And instead, they find gossip, dirty looks, isolation. 
That is not to be what the church is known for. The world around us, our community, they are hurting, they are suffering. And you know what they want? They want a place they can come to for love. A place they can come to and find hope. And if we are not presenting that to one another, how can we expect the world to look at the church and say, I want to be a part of that? They're looking for a place of hope. Are we that place? It will not be that place just because we say that we want it to be. It will not be that place just because we desire it to be. We will only truly be a hospital to the hurting, to the outcast, to the downtrodden. If by faith and by purpose we say, listen, I'm going to reach out to those who are hurting. I'm going to be there. I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to send a text. I want to go by and take them to breakfast. Go by not to be nosy not to get in their business, but I want them to know that I love them, that they're not alone. And that's what the world's looking for. And that's what the church is looking for. And at the end of the day, that's what you and I are looking for in our moment of need. I have witnessed those who have suffered And who have lost and who have said to me, there are others in my life who have went through this and I did not have the compassion I should have because I didn't understand what they're going through, but now I know. I don't understand what people are facing that I've never personally faced. But I know that as a believer, we are called to act and display the love of God, to bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are we bearing one another's burdens? Don't answer that, but examine your own heart. Are we bearing one another's burdens? Not if you need me call, but are we taking initiative to bear one another's burdens? If not, church, this is the law of Christ, the Bible says. This is how we make a difference. This is how the world looks at us and says, listen, I want what they have when we bear one another's burdens. And then lastly, verse number three says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We should work to keep unity. The Bible says there's one body and one spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, there is unity, and so too you and I should have unity in the house of God. Paul uses the word here, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity. What he's saying is that it takes work, it, it implies that we must continually labor to keep unity in our hearts. Tom Rainer listed 14 things that cause disunity in the church. I want to list these here briefly and look at them 
And uh, I would ask you not to think of anyone outside of yourself when I read these. But examine your own heart. Don't say, I know somebody that fits that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. It starts right here in our own heart. Fourteen things that cause disunity in a church. First is gossip. Gossip. Church members talk about one another instead of talking to one another. Paul said that when we do that, we're filled with all unrighteousness in Romans 1.29. Gossip. Are we working to curtail gossip in our church? Gossip about people. Gossip about ministries. Gossip about committees and teams. Gossip. You say, I'm not gossiping. I just like to discuss things out loud. No, you're gossiping. If you don't have, I think my mom always told me, Brother Dennis, she'd say, if you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. I think that's good advice that we ought to learn. Gossip. Second of all, are actions cloaked in darkness. I recently heard of a church personnel committee and a few church staff members who uh, worked in darkness to fire a pastor without ever meeting with him first or giving him reasons for his dismissal and they refused to respond to church members who were asking questions. I shared a few weeks ago of a story of a church and um, I, I, we've got time. I want to share this story. All right. It, it, it's a little humorous and it's a whole lot of sad. And there was a church we called uh, Royal Rumble Baptist Church growing up when I was a kid about four years old. Um, the pastor told my dad, hey, Brother Ellis, come by our church sometime and share your work. Well, Dad finally, we didn't have an appointment, went to preach one Sunday, dropped in, and the church was there. We were sitting back on, the, uh, on my right, your left of the church, in the back there, about two-thirds of the way back. Little small country church. Well, Sunday school's going on, and after the Sunday school got, got done, the choir came out of the sides, came out both sides, and they came into the choir, and they both sat on opposite sides. Well, that's not unusual. You think when they stand up, they'll all come together and sing. Well, they stood up to sing, and they both went further apart. That was our first clue that something was awry. Waited, and boy, just there was a horrible spirit there that morning. And uh, the music minister sang. He got done. You could have heard a, a, a mouse tiptoe across the carpet. It was deathly quiet. He said, well, I guess we're going to have to turn it over to our preacher now. We thought, preacher? What preacher? We ain't even seen the preacher yet. Well, the preacher come walking down the aisle. He had slipped in the back and stopped. You could have heard a, like I said, you could have heard a pin drop. He elbowed my dad and said, Brother Ellis, he said, I know I told you to drop in some Sunday. He said, but son, you picked a bad day to do it. And we thought, oh no, what's about to happen? He walked up, got in the pulpit, and about the time he got up there, one lady over here stood up and said, I'll have you know this is a Cummins church. My great-grandpa Cummins started this church. My grandpa Cummins pastored. My dad Cummins pastored, and it's going to stay a Cummins church. The lady on this side stood up and said, I'll have you know you're not going to talk about my preacher that way. 
Come to find out, the pastor had been on vacation the previous week, and about three families got together, not the whole church, just a couple of families, and they voted the preacher out without even telling the whole church what they were doing. Well, this lady said, you're not going to talk about my preacher that way, and they met in the middle, and they went fist to fist, these two ladies. They got to hitting each other, knocking each other over the pews. Then the men got up, and the whole church turned into a barroom fight. One lady fell down and grasped her chest. She was laying on the floor, and a lady grabbed her by the arm and started pulling her towards the altar and said, Lord God, y'all stop fighting. She's dying. We need to pray for her. Another lady stood up and said, leave her alone. God's killing her. Dad said, preacher, we'll see you later. <laughs> by the time we got in the parking lot, and before we could get out, the police were showing up, and they were outside knocking each other into car doors, in, in, in the cars. They were, I mean, as I said, as a kid growing up, I always called that church Royal Rumble Baptist Church. Disunity. Actions cloaked in darkness. It can cause division within the church. Number three, failures to confront church bullies those who feel like they have to get their way i don't care you do what you want to do i'll come in and i'll do my own thing afterwards i'm going to get my way church bullies it'll cause division within the church those who feel like it's their way or the highway number four self-serving church members those who have to get their way from everything from worship style to the order of the worship service. Biblical church membership is selfless and more concerned about others. Self-serving church members will cause disunity. Fifthly, a lack of prayer. A church that does not pray together will not stay together just like a home. That's why we encourage you to be here Wednesday nights for prayer meeting, Tuesday morning for our men's prayer meeting, ladies tomorrow night for WOM, and y'all be praying together. We ought to pray together, but lack of prayer will cause disunity. Are you invested in prayer at this church? Fear of confrontation. Confrontation with a bad attitude is bad, but right confrontation can be good. It can lead to helpful growth, but fear of confrontation will lead to disunity in a church. Adopting the, number seven, adopting the hypercritical spirit of culture. The reality is, especially true in blogs and social media, that um, pastors are attacked and we attack other people, church members attack this hypercritical spirit of culture. It's that, listen, I'm going to confront you over every little thing I'm going to be critical. You ever met somebody that no matter what you did, they had something negative to say? It'll cause disunity in a church. And that's why Paul says we endeavor to keep the unity at work. Low expectations. If we don't have clear guidelines and what we're doing as a body of Christ, it'll cause uh, disunity because we're not all working towards the same thing and so as a pastor and as leadership of the church and and we're working to lay out a clear direction because if we don't have uh, the right expectations or low expectations we're going to have disunity number nine is uh, no church discipline and there must be a method of church discipline when necessary i pray that we never have to cross that bridge 
Number 10, churches known more for what they are against rather than what they are for. I hope that's not our church, but I've known many churches through the years. But boy, they were against everything. But when you ask them what they're for, nobody knew. We ought to be for some things, amen. We ought to be for the gospel. We ought to be for people. We ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be for discipleship. We ought to be for evangelism. We ought to be for showing the love of Christ. Number 11, fear of losing members. I know this isn't what we like to talk about, but sometimes that has to be the case. If we forsake and neglect who we are and what God has called us to do to keep people, we should always remain faithful to what God has called us to. Number 12 is failure to be evangelistic. The truth is, if you're evangelistic, you're probably not going to be divisive because you see the big picture. But when we're not evangelistic, we're liable to be divisive. Number 13, there's two more and I'm going to be done. Power groups. Sometimes Mr. Rayner said that the bullies in the church get allies from power groups and they may be informal groups or they can be formal groups like staff committees, personnel teams, but power groups. And so when there's only one power group here and that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen? Jesus Christ is our power group. And then 14, listen here, this is the silent and fearful majority. And these are Tom Rayner's perspective but I believe he nailed the he nailed it he hit the nail on the head with this one church member said he said it's not always good to know the truth such a statement is unbiblical and symptomatic of members who let evil exist because they are afraid to confront it the truth of the matter is is that that's the problem some of the problems we're facing in America are because Christians were silent and would not let their voice be heard We've got elections coming up. I'm not going to get into politics, but I will say this. Your vote matters and vote your Christian beliefs because it matters. I remember years ago, Whitfield County, Georgia, and Dalton had vote. Every year they would vote on the ballot. Let's allow liquor sales in the county and then liquor sales on Sunday. When Dalton finally voted after voting it down for over 30 years, they finally um, voted and allowed liquor sales on Sunday in Dalton, Georgia. The total turnout for that vote was less than the First Baptist Church of Dalton. One church alone, had they have showed up, could have voted it down. But instead, a vote that had been defeated for 30 years, the Christians became complacent. They became the silent majority and would not let their voices be heard. And what had been defeated for 30 years was overturned in an instant, never to be overturned again. We must learn to say, listen, I'm going to stand for truth. Now pick our battles wisely. Standing for truth, fighting for truth is not over the color of the flowers on the platform. That's not the kind of things we, we stand up and pick our battles. 
But when it comes to the truth of God's word, let us never cow down or be quiet. Let's raise our voices up and say, listen, I stand upon the promises of God's eternal word. I will not hide my voice, but I'll let the world know that I stand with God. And this is how we remain faithful to our calling. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, you know our needs. Lord, for the one here, Lord, who is long-suffering, and Lord, they're weak, they're tired. God, I pray that tonight you might grant them peace and grace to go another day, another week. Lord, may you help our church to be a beacon of love. Lord, may you help us to learn to be gentle and meek. Lord, to trust that you fight our battles for us. Lord, to the one here who maybe is divisive, Lord, causing a lack of unity in our church, God, I pray that you might help us, Lord, to Confess that to you. Repent and change our ways. Lord, that we might not be the critical spirit, but God, that we might be one, Lord, that would bring joy and honor and peace, Lord, to your church and your family. God, we love you and thank you. In Christ in my prayer.